Psalm 51. As I think about children's ministry, uh, one of the things we talked about this morning in our class, Why Children Matter, and one of the things we talk about as a church is that parents are the primary disciple makers of their children. And one of the best things you can do with children, with grandchildren, if you don't have kids or grandchildren, with other children, nephews, nieces, neighborhood kiddos, Uh, Anyone the Lord puts in your circle of influence is to help them memorize Scripture, to get the Word of God in their minds and impressed upon their hearts. And as we're going to look at Psalm 51 today, I want to read uh, before that one of the most famous, popular verses in all of Scripture. 1 John 1 9 in the ESV reads If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Raise your hand if you tried to memorize that or ever was told to memorize that growing up. Okay. Tons and tons of hands. A very famous verse. The Christian life begins with repentance. Repenting of our sins. But the Christian life also continues with repentance. There is an initial repentance connected to our salvation. Repent and believe. And then there's an ongoing repentance because as Christians, we still sin. We still fall short of the glory of God. And there is a need to repent of our sins, to ask our Heavenly Father for forgiveness. Initial repentance is there at salvation. We see it in Mark chapter 1. The first thing Jesus is reported to have said as he begins his earthly ministry, at least by Mark, is this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. It's right there at the beginning. Good news is presented. Repent and believe. In Acts chapter 2, at the end of Peter's famous Pentecost sermon, they all ask him, what do we need to do in response to the gospel? And he says, repent. And then show the world you've repented. Show the world you've come to Christ by getting baptized. That's initial repentance. But we all still sin. You and I sinned this week. We fell short of God's glory. And so there is a need for ongoing repentance. So we need to know what true repentance is. What does true repentance look like? Uh, How do we know if we've done it? Well, Psalm 51 is one of the best examples in Scripture of full, thorough, true repentance. And it's not simple. It's not easy, it's not fun, but it is life-giving to God's people. Because repentance is a gift from God. Let me pray, and then I'm going to read all of Psalm 51 as we learn what true repentance is. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, give us clean hands, clean hearts, clean minds, clean phones, clean bank accounts, clean calendars. May everything in our lives bring glory to you. 
Cleanse us, Lord. Make us new. Thank you for the gift of your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy. And thank you for the privilege of being your children who, when we sin, can run right back to you for repentance, restoration, redemption, and love. Help us receive your words from your word this morning with obedience, hope, and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 51. What a psalm. Remember, the psalms are songs, so as hard as this is, it's also a worship song for the good of our souls. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it, You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. If you go down the road to the CVS and look in the Hallmark card section, you are not going to find anything like that. Right? The Hallmark section has gotten worse and worse. You can't buy one of those anymore and give it to someone you love. (laughs) Have you read some of those? Maybe you found a diamond in the rough, but not me. You are not going to find anything like this. In the Hallmark section. Is there a section on asking for forgiveness? Are there cards for that? I don't even know. Historically, 
this confession of sin in Psalm 51 is connected to King David. If you have a heading in your Bible, some Bibles have the header. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him and after he had gone into Bathsheba. Well, that's one way to say it. What was this written in response to? Nathan had to confront King David on a massive series of grievous sins, major sin. If you don't know the story, David, while he was king, saw a woman in the city named Bathsheba, and he wanted her, so he took her. And then he did what he wanted with her, and she became pregnant. And David tries to cover it up by asking her husband, who's out in war on the battlefield, to come home from war and time it right so that maybe he will think that he's actually the father of the baby. Well, Uriah, the husband, refuses multiple times. And so David decides, I've got to get rid of the evidence of my sin. So David decides to kill Uriah by proxy. He has the general of his army send Uriah to the front lines knowing that he will likely be killed and he is. He dies. So he dies in battle. Lots of sin. David is not trying to repent. He's not going to the Lord once he sins. He's trying to cover up his sins. He feels the shame, the pain, the dirtiness of it and he tries to cover it up. He tries to delete his browsing history. He tries to hide the evidence from the people who would be looking at his bank account. He tries to cover up his sins, to solve his sin problem himself. It's like the plot of many movies. In how many movies does the main character commit some crime or do something wrong and the rest of the movie is him or her trying to cover up and and hide evidence and eventually at the end it all blows up on that character. Because you can't hide your sins forever. They will be exposed. Either to your great detriment or if that exposure is from the Lord to your great gratitude for having the Lord love you enough to expose your sins before they do more damage to you. So David tried to hide his sins and God exposes them. Through the prophet Nathan to David, he exposes his sins and this was a gift from God. Having your sins exposed is a gift from God. Did you know that? Did you know that? Because God could let you go down the road of sin until you destroy everything and we have a funeral for you. That's what the Lord could do. But often for his children, he exposes our sins to ourself, to a loved one, to a friend, to someone in our small group, to someone at church. And that exposure alerts us to our need for repentance and our need for redemption. And then God turns that story into a story of redemption for his glory and our good. And so when your sins are exposed like they were for David, it is a gift. And then the Lord brings conviction, a desire to repent. And then from this exposure in David's life, we get this song, Psalm 51. We get this incredible song of what true repentance needs to look like in our hearts. 
Remember, there's initial repentance connected to our salvation and then ongoing repentance connected to our sanctification. In Psalm 51, we get an example of ongoing repentance that should happen in the life of all of God's people as we grow. And so what we'll see this morning is that true repentance, true apologizing has three components. It has a plea, a confession, and results. That's our outline, true repentance, three things. There's a plea, a confession, and results. And true repentance always has all three. First, let's look at the plea. It's in verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. Here's the plea of true repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So the plea, here's the plea of true repentance. Speaking to God, have mercy mercy on me. That's the plea. If you understand repentance, if you understand apologies correctly, your first act is asking God to have mercy on you. It starts there. Every sin can only be forgiven by God primarily. And so in true repentance, our plea is have mercy on me. Do you want to know if you repented of your sins? Well, did you ask God for mercy? Yes or no? That's a good start. If no, then you know what to do. Mercy is unearned. You can't buy mercy. You can't earn mercy. It must be given. Mercy is what you ask for when you're guilty and you know it. You ask a judge, judge, have mercy on me. But what we see in Psalm 51 is not just a man feeling guilty about his sins and confessing his sins to a judge who is distant. That is not what we see. What we see is a relationship that David has with God, knowing that God is the judge and the only forgiver of all sin, and yet it's much more intimate than that. Look at the middle, the third line of verse 1. According to your abundant mercy. Who talks to a judge like that? A child. A child of God. Someone loved by a God of love. Look at the second line. According to your steadfast love. Here's what David knows. Even though he committed envy and adultery and a whole bunch of other things and murder by proxy. He knows that he's a sinner and that God is holy and that God forgives sinners. That's what David knows, or else he couldn't have written this. That's the relationship we can have with the judge of the universe. Yes, we need to repent to him. Yes, he is the forgiver, but he also loves us and has abundant mercy for us. You will never truly repent at any point in the rest of your life with true repentance, as we'll learn about this morning, and find God saying, not this time. You will never hear that because of his abundant mercy and his steadfast love. And so the plea is first, have mercy on me. 
God forgives sinners. It's mercy and love. They're always a gift. And God's merciful gift brings forgiveness and cleansing. The plea is one for forgiveness and cleansing. Look at verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is how sin is supposed to feel. It's actually a feature of sin, not a flaw in the plan. Sin is supposed to feel gross. It's supposed to feel shameful. It's supposed to feel dirty. Why do so many sins happen when you think you're all alone? Because there's a shame to it. There's a dirtiness to it. Or when you want to sin and you know it, you want all your friends to come along with you. Why is that such a strong pull? Why when we're going to do something we're uncomfortable with, do we want all of our friends to come with us? I remember this in college. I was at a state college and the pressure every Thursday night, Thursday night at our college uh, was drinking night. And it wasn't just drinking. No one went to drink. Everyone went out to drunk, right? That's what they went out for. And they wanted friends to go with them. I saw it every Thursday night. People going around the halls, knocking on doors. You're coming, right? You're coming, right? No, I don't want to go. But you're coming, right? The pressure. We're going to get drunk. Come with us. Why would you need to do that? Because it feels gross. It feels dirty. It feels shameful. There was an obvious shame in the Thursday night halls at my college. When your mind is functioning properly, sin feels gross. And you know what David's asking for? He's asking for a spiritual shower. A spiritual shower. Not just to be forgiven, but to have his mind cleared of the junk. To even forget some of the things he's seen or done. To have his mind cleansed. To not desire in his heart those sins ever again. And that's part of true repentance. True repentance is have mercy on me, oh God. But not just forgive me, but Lord, I don't want to be like that anymore. I need your mercy to help me grow so I don't desire this anymore. That's the plea. And when you understand that that's the plea, then all the fake apologies and fake repentance will become really obvious to you. Because we've all done it. Here are some fake apologies. Fine. Sorry. (laughs) Or, I'm sorry if... Qualification. Well, then you're not sorry. You're only sorry if. I will apologize if you also apologize first. Or the best one, I was told that I need to apologize. (laughs) So I'm here to do that. There's no sorrow in that. There's no plea for mercy. There's no seriousness, no care, no awareness of the filthiness of sin. David was dirty. So his plea was mercy, clean me, cleanse me. Like we sang in his mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. The debt was too high. The dirt was too grimy. We had no hope. There was not enough soap to clean us of our sins. We needed a savior. This is the plea of David. This is the plea of every Christian. This is the plea of a sinner. The plea is have mercy on me. Clean me up. And this is essential for ongoing repentance in the Christian life. True 
repentance. It's essential for initial repentance. When you first come to know the Lord, you repent and believe the good news. You turn from your sins. You follow Jesus into this world. But it's also essential for ongoing repentance. Like that memory verse many of you memorized as a kid. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the plea. Cleanse us, have mercy. God's mercy is more. But that's just the plea. The plea is have mercy on me. That's the introduction to repentance. That's the, the hello, I am here to apologize. It's the introduction to repentance. What else is true repentance? Well, it's three things. A plea, a confession, and results. That was the plea. Now let's get to the confession. True repentance is all three. A plea, a confession, and results. Here we get to the actual apology. The actual confession of wrongdoing. If you don't admit what you're sorry for, then we don't even know if you're actually sorry. Because we don't know if you know what you did. 1 John 1, 9 again. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. It doesn't say, if you say you're sorry, he's faithful and just to forgive us your sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. No, you have to confess the sins you've committed, at least the ones you know you've committed. You need to be specific. It's not just, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? Children need to learn that. Don't just say you're sorry, but tell us what you're sorry for so that we understand that you understand it. And David's confession begins in verse 3. Look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions. All right, stop there. He has a list in his mind of all of the wrongs he committed. He doesn't list them out in the song because this is a great song for all of us to sing as we confess our sins and repent before our Heavenly Father. He knows, though, he's got a specific list that he is bringing in his mind to God. I did that. I did that. I took advantage of that. I abused my power here. I did this. I did that. I tried to cover it up. All of those things. I know my transgressions. True repentance confesses specific sins. And then he says, and my sin is ever before me. He's not saying, God, that was like three weeks ago. I I mean, that was a while ago. He knows how grievous his sins were. And he says, God, I know until I come before you, they stand around me, my sins in judgment until I have brought them to you in confession for forgiveness. They stand around me. They are ever before me. So, verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned. Here David reminds us that every single sin, even if it's against another person or a company or a business, whatever it might be, is against God primarily and first. There are no victimless sins. Even if you only sin in your mind, that is not a victimless sin. Did you know that? God's holiness has been violated What does he say? He goes on, and done what is evil in your sight. Another mark of a true confession is that we allow God's word to decide what right and wrong is. When we confess sins, we confess what God says in his word the sins are. We let God's word be our guide. And so David does not do what many people do. 
They take the Bible and the teachings of Jesus and they cut out the parts that they don't like. David does not do that. He says, your law is the law. Your right and wrong is right and wrong. Your law is beautiful and useful and helpful for me. And so, Lord, I have done what is evil in your sight. When we confess our sins, we confess things according to God's decrees. He doesn't go to the Lord and say, I don't think I did anything wrong. It wasn't really that wrong. That's not what he does. At the end of verse 4, why is confession like this? So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David cares about God's law. David cares about God's reputation. When he's confessing his sins, he is not in it for himself. He is in it to honor God with his life and his story and his testimony and even how he repents. David is agreeing with God's law. And true repentance confesses specific sins in alignment with God's law. For instance, God said, do not envy. That's what God said. Do not envy. And David envied. And in Psalm 51, David is saying, God's law, do not envy, is right and good. And I envied, and so I was wrong, and God is right. That's what he's doing in confession. God said, do not commit adultery. David committed adultery. He's saying God is right. God's law is holiness and beautiful and useful for society and love of neighbor. And David was wrong and he admits it. God said, do not murder. David had a man killed. God is right. David was wrong. He admits it. And David was king. And he was so drunk on his own power that he felt like he could look out on the city and point to a woman and say, mine. All of those sins that night. All of those sins. You got to name them. Confession includes naming sins. So when you and I repent of our sins to God, we need to be specific. Name the sins, at least in your mind. At least in your mind to the Lord. Lord, I did this. Lord, I wanted that and I took it. Cleanse me because I don't want to want that anymore and I can't change my wanter. But you can give me a new heart. Confession is very specific. But when we apologize to one another, we need to be specific as well. Not just I'm sorry, but I sinned against you in this way. Will you forgive me? I will strive to never do it again. That's a Christian apology, especially to another Christian. Look at verse 3. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. But again, the enemy is there watching us repent, watching us model the gospel to one another, to our families. Every time we confess a sin, every time we repent, every time we apologize, we are modeling the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. And the enemy is going to be there trying to trick us to make it all about ourselves or to skip a step of true repentance. So there's some fake confessions there's the smooth fake repentance. Maybe you've heard this one. You have a guy telling a story about all of his past sins and the story's getting more and more exciting. And the main character is not the God who would eventually forgive all of those sins, but the guy and how interesting all of the sins he committed was. Have you heard a story like that? 
We can confess our sins in a way to make everyone look at us and be impressed with our story. And that's not a true confession. That's not ashamed of those past sins and thankful for the forgiveness God offered. We got to be careful. Then there's half repentance, either to the Lord or to someone else. I really am sorry, but I'm also really looking forward to that again. Have you done that? I've done it. The tempter's at our door saying, yes, you have apologized and you can do it again because you'll get to apologize again. The enemy will use God's abundant mercy and steadfast love as a weapon against us to take God's grace for granted. And that's half repentance. And then there's behavior change without repentance. Yes, I I, I still want to get drunk, but I switched my commute and I don't go to the bar anymore on my way home from work. And so you don't have a new heart. You don't even have a change of desires, but your, your schedule changed the kinds of sins you commit. And that's not full repentance. True repentance is thorough. It's a turning around away from sin. And true confession admits to God that we know where the real problem is. And that it's in our heart. The real problem isn't the circumstances I'm in, how people are treating me. It's in my own heart. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Humans are not born good. I know you'll hear that everywhere else but churches these days. But humans are not born good. We are born into sin. We're sinners from conception. We need a savior right from the start. And David realizes and we need to realize that our hearts are still deceitful at times. We are out of alignment. We're disoriented and our hearts are unreliable Becoming exposed to our own sins should make us cry out for a Savior. Which is why we sing songs like the ones we sing here every week. Like Jesus paid it all. This is the cry of a heart that knows it needs a Savior. That knows it needs ongoing saving from our sins. Ongoing forgiveness. Ongoing redemption. Ongoing growth and giving us a new heart more and more. Lord, now indeed I find... Thy power in thine alone can change the leper's spots. A leper can't change their own spots. Sin is like leprosy. It's something we can't change ourselves. But God can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. We need new hearts. And God gives new hearts. Amen? He gives new hearts. So confession needs to be a part of our Christian life. Going back just over 500 years ago to the Protestant Reformation, uh, you may know that Martin Luther uh, reportedly nailed 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And uh, of the 95 things he wanted to have a discussion about in the church at the time, the first one is about this. It's about repentance. Here's the first one of Luther's 95 theses. He said, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Our whole life, confessing our sins, feeling God's forgiveness, admitting our sins, realizing every day how much we needed a Savior. And it's reported that his final words, Martin Luther, as he was dying, scratched on a piece of paper were, quote, we are beggars This is true. He knew 
Who are we? Sinners, forgiven. We're just beggars who need God's mercy and love every single day. So the Christian life should be one of ongoing repentance. David confesses his sins. Luther did too. And so must we. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the plea is have mercy on me. And the confession is specific and according to God's law. All right? And thorough. Third and finally, the results. Here's the good news, right? The, uh, the, the rest of the message will sound maybe like a Hallmark card <laughs> because there's really good news for people who repent of their sins. But the bad news is the plea has to be real and the confession needs to be honest and thorough. Well, now we get to the results. The result, here's the result if you take notes. The result of true repentance is a clean heart. The result of true repentance is a clean heart heart. Where else can you get a clean heart? Can you get it today with free two-day shipping for any cost? Can you? Where can you get a clean heart? The Lord gives clean hearts. It's all over scripture and it's all over Psalm 51. So we're going to go very quickly now through verses 6 through 19 and consider the gift of repentance and what God gives in response. He gives clean hearts. Verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Here's one of the gifts of true repentance. New truth. New truth. As you repent of your sins, as you come to know God's law and commit it to your heart and mind and then confess those sins and receive his forgiveness and cleansing, your mind and heart start to line up more and more with God's truth. And God's truth is the thing that sets you free. So new truth. True repentance gives you new truth for your heart and your mind. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David's bones were broken metaphorically by the exposure of the depth and depravity of his own sins. Lord, you broke me, but now what does he have? Eight, let me hear joy and gladness. My bones were broken, but now I'm singing praise. So true repentance brings joy. True repentance brings joy, new joy, a new sense of freedom in Christ, forgiveness of sins, joy you can't get anywhere else. You're forgiven and loved by God. New joy. That's something true repentance brings. What a gift so far. Look at verse 9. It gets better. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David knew that as he was forgiven, his relationship with God was restored. True repentance brings a new relationship with God, a fresh relationship with God, a restored relationship with God. You know this on the human level. If you've had bad blood with somebody or animosity with someone and you have been able to fully reconcile with another human being, the, the, uh, maybe a relative, a parent, a friend, a coworker, a child, all the stiffness and thickness and pain and caution of that relationship melts away. 
If you've experienced that, you know there's a second chance in the relationship. All the tension is gone. You've had that on the human level and you can have that with God. True repentance does that between us and God. He restores us. He creates in us a clean heart and he works in our heart because your heart is what needs to be made new so you have different actions. Your desires lead to your actions. God gives you new desires. And so as we repent, as he cleans up our heart, we will sin less egregiously in those areas. And our relationship with God will be restored. So new hearts and a new relationship with God. Now look at verse 11. The restoration continues. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You may remember that the first king, Saul, had that happen where the Holy Spirit was literally taken from him in in a metaphorical and symbolic way. And you can read that story in your Bible another time. But he's referencing that as the next king. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12 now. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. There's joy again. And uphold me with a willing spirit. So true repentance means your heart is new, your life has changed, you no longer desire for that sin as much, but you still have a desire about that sin. Because one of the things God's give you, one of the things God gives you in true repentance is a new mission, a new mission. When you think about your sins, you no longer desire those sins But now you desire for those past sins to be useful for God's kingdom. It's an entirely new mission. True repentance leads to a new mission that our act of repentance and our experience of forgiveness would be useful to show the world the gospel. It's in verse 13. Look at it having confessed his sins, having been received from God, cleanliness and a a contrite heart. Now look at this, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. There's more joy. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. More joy, 16, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. He means that true repentance is not about sacrifices or giving or acts of contrition. It's about true repentance, the confession of your sins and receiving God's grace and mercy. True repentance is useful. And you don't want to do it the next day, right? Oh, yesterday I sinned egregiously and now I'm ready. I've turned a new leaf. Everybody look at how bad I sinned yesterday and learn from my example. We're going to want to see a little more humility than that before it becomes useful for the kingdom. But I know from my past sins that in many times, many conversations, God's forgiveness of my past sins and my past addictions has been useful for God's kingdom. I desire those sins less and I desire for those sins to be useful for a teachable tool for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I bet many of you have experienced that. Verse 13, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Being forgiven and sharing that story may bring others to Jesus Christ for salvation. So you've got a new mission. Two left, 
really fast. Verse 17 is a new humility. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. So true repentance leads to humility. If you're really proud about your past sins or really proud about how you asked for forgiveness, then you've got some work to do. Ask God to give you a broken and contrite heart. True repentance leads to real, tangible humility. And finally, as individual believers do this with God and are cleansed by him and are redeemed and have a new mission for our past sins, You know what God gives us? The final new, the final result of true repentance is a new community. New community. Verse 18. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David is speaking of the the restoration of God's people to properly worship God in spirit, in truth, and according to his law. He wants a community of people who knows they're forgiven, sharing the good news that God's mercy is more. And that kind of community can change the world. It can be a nation. It can be a family. It can be a neighborhood. It can be a church. And Jesus has decided to do this, to build these communities in local churches that get together and live out lives of true repentance. When we repent, we want our past sins to humble us and to teach others to love and honor God so that a whole community glorifies God. The result is a clean heart. Do you have a clean heart? Have you ever repented of your sins? Have you ever turned to Jesus and confessed, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Maybe today will be the day. You do that. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but there are some egregious sins and you haven't done true repentance with them. You haven't confessed them to the Lord specifically. You haven't asked him to clean you up and to redemptively use that for his glory and his kingdom. Well, today would be a great day to do that, and maybe in a few moments as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. As a church family learns to repent, to ask for forgiveness and to offer forgiveness to one another, to turn from our sins, to teach others from our past, what did we see in Psalm 51? Yes, confession. Yes, contrition. But we saw joy, hope, peace, endurance, and singing praises to God. That's why, even though we sinned this past week, we're going to end our service with a song like In Christ Alone. Because we remember that God cannot just say, your sins are forgiven. Because someone had to pay the penalty for those sins. For God to be able to give us the forgiveness of our sins, like in Psalm 51 and like we need to do each day, the price God paid was Jesus Christ. His son and our savior who died on the cross for you and for me. What a cost. What a gift. There's a plea. There's a confession. And then there's all of the results for those who repent. So when your sin is ever before you, repent and receive all the blessings God gives his children. As we go over the Lord's Supper, what a great time to Truly repent of some sins if you haven't done it. Consider Psalm 51 this week and especially over the next few minutes. 
as we celebrate the sacrifice that makes repentance possible. And now I'll close with this thought. When sin is ever before you, look to Jesus. The plea is, have mercy on me. The confession is specific and the result is a clean heart. What a gift from our Heavenly Father. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, this is almost unbelievable. David envied, committed adultery, murder, many sins that night, many sins that month, many sins that year, and yet he found forgiveness and a new heart in your abundant mercy and your steadfast love. Thank you for that. Thank you for the act of repentance, for not smiting us for every sin, but for restoring our relationship with you as we repent. So give us freedom today and this week as we confess our sins to you. Help us feel clean. Help the dirt wash away. Give us new minds, new thoughts, new dreams, new hopes, and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Make us more like him so that our lives will bring glory to you and good to our neighbor. Thank you for forgiveness and for the gift of repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.